0: Please turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 8. 2 Corinthians, <clears throat> and chapter 8. I'll read beginning at verse 16 down through the end of the chapter. And Paul writes in verse 16, But thanks be to God, who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord. And we have sent along with him the brother whose fame in the things of the gospel has spread through all the churches. And not only this, but He has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our readiness, taking precaution that no one should discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with him our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brethren, they are messengers of the churches, a glory to Christ. Therefore, op- open openly, before the churches, show the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you this morning we take a break from our recent series of sermons and we want to look at two unknown servants of christ we have on many other occasions we have looked at the lives of others other saints in the bibles whose names we are given in the scriptures and from their examples we often learn many things that are helpful to us. This morning we consider two of God's people, two brethren whose names we do not know, and they are what we might call the unknown servants of Christ. In Washington, D.C., at the Arlington National Cemetery, there is the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, And in that tomb, there is not just one, but four soldiers laid there, buried there, one for each of the last four great wars of our country, but all four of them are unknown. That is, they were unknown when they were taken home from the foreign battlefields on which they died. They were once very well known to their families. They had mothers and fathers. They had perhaps brothers and sisters to whom they were well-known, they grew up in small towns, perhaps in cities in our country as young children. They went to school, they played in the playgrounds. They were known to other children. They were well-known to others until they were sent to the war and where they died, and in the terrible ruin and destruction of war, they were unidentified and they came back unknown soldiers The tribute on the tomb of the unknown soldiers reads this. Here lies, or here rests, in honored glory, an American soldier known but to God. And there are really many unknown soldiers who have died in our nation's wars, but this tomb, this tomb is a memorial not just for the four who are buried there, but for a remembrance to all Of our unknown soldiers. This morning we want to look at the record, the lives of two believers who are faithful servants of Christ. Their names are not known to us. And the first is found in verse 18 and 19, the second is found in verse 22. We are told something of their character, something of their service to Christ. But we know nothing more about them. We do not know where they came from, how they lived before they came to faith in Jesus Christ, how they were converted. We do not know where they died. And this is, as far as we know, the only place in the Bible where they are even mentioned They seem to suddenly appear and we see them in their good works for Jesus. But then, just as suddenly, they disappear from the pages of Scripture, never to be heard of again. They are unknown servants of Christ. And like the unknown soldiers, their names are known only to God. And like the unknown soldiers, They have a tribute by which they are honored, a tribute that is not written in a tombstone, but one that is here written in the word of God as they are remembered by God, the Holy Spirit in the scriptures. And these two men stand as examples to us, and their tributes remind us of so many unknown believers down through the centuries. Men and women who have faithfully served Jesus in the cause of the gospel wherever they were in this world, and because of them, because of them, the gospel has spread to all the nations of the earth, even to us here today in this country, America. So that you and I can hear the gospel of salvation and come to eternal salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. So many saints unknown to us today. But all of them most essential in the building up of the kingdom of God. We cannot recount their names. We do not know who they were, but they were all of great value to Jesus in whatever role they played in the advance of his kingdom. Their names are forgotten on earth, but their names are never forgotten by Jesus in heaven. There have been many suggestions as to who these two unknown believers are. Some say Luke John Mark, others say Apollos, Silas, Barnabas, Trophimus, Tychicus, many other names of other saints that were given in other passages. Some say that that's who these two men are. But one man says that there are as many names suggested as there are scholars who have studied it, And it really all proves to us all we have is speculations. These are unknown servants of Christ. If God identified their names in other passages of the scripture, why would he not identify their names here? If he wanted us to know their names, why would he not give their names to us? The only right conclusion that we can come to is that these are unknown servants of Jesus because God desired it to be so. Now we know that Paul planted the church in Corinth. He was there for a year and a half teaching the word of God. We have the record of it in Acts chapter 18. After Paul left, there were many troubles and errors and false teachers that came into the church, and the church had a variety of different problems which Paul had to deal with in the first letter to Corinth. It seems later there was some repentance, some sincere repentance, which Paul mentions back in chapter 7 of this letter, what vindication of themselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal they had in their repentance. And so the church now has taken a turn for the good. The situation here in chapters 8 and 9 of this letter is that Paul was organizing a collection of support, from the Gentile churches in Macedonia, which was the northern churches above Greece, and then the Greek churches, Corinth being down in the south. And this collection was to be sent to the church in Jerusalem because many of the members of the church in Jerusalem were very poor. They were poor when they first came to Christ. Jesus said the gospel is preached to the poor and then to add to their poverty there were war there was war there was famine the persecution came upon them so their needs were very great and paul was the apostle to the gentiles and so what he's doing here is he's making this collection among the gentile churches to show their love for the jewish brethren back in jerusalem The dividing wall, the enmity between Jew and Gentile had been broken, and so Paul wanted this demonstration to them to show that there was now peace between Jews and Gentiles. The Corinthians had received the most indescribable blessings that had come to them in the gospel. And those blessings had originated from the brethren in Jerusalem. And so now their need was the opportunity for the Gentile churches to show their great gratitude and out of their material blessings to show that gratitude for them who had sent such spiritual, such great spiritual blessings to them. Paul wrote this letter, it seems he was up in Berea in the northern part in Macedonia And he was now to send a man down to Corinth to receive the charitable gift and to send it to Jerusalem. The men that he sent, they had to be faithful men, trustworthy men, trusted not just by Paul but by the Corinthians because it was the Corinthians' gift, at least in part, that they had to take and they had to have confidence in these men who took the gift to Jerusalem that they were good and honest men and they would deliver the gift in its entirety. They would not skim off some part of it for themselves. They would not take the money and run and perhaps go off and do whatever they pleased with it. So Paul chose Titus here in verses 16 and 17. Titus was a Greek. He was known to Paul. He had been a, a companion of Paul for some time. Later, Paul would leave him in the island of Crete and he would call Titus my true child in a common faith. You see down in verse nineteen twenty-three. 23, he calls him my partner and fellow worker among you. And so Paul knew Titus, the Corinthians knew Titus as well. And Titus was to go to Corinth and to be part of this collection and also to bring this second letter of the Corinthians to them. In verse 16 and 17, Paul gives thanks to God because of the earnestness, the great concern that was in the heart of Titus. Paul had great concern that was in the heart of Titus for the Corinthians. Paul had great concern for the Corinthians and Titus also had great concern for the Corinthians. And so... The great concern of these two men, it was evidence that God had great concern for the Corinthians as well. It was proof of that. And so he gives thanks to God for the earnestness that God has given to Titus. But then with Titus, Paul is sending with him these two unknown brothers who we are looking at here this morning. We see that they are both called brothers. The first one is called the brother in verse 18. And we have sent along with him the brother. And then the second is called our brother down in verse 22. And we have sent with him our brother. They were both brothers in the one family of God, which tells us that they were men who had been born of God and brought into God's family as his children, they were brothers of all believers. The Lord Jesus, their elder brother, they were the brothers of Christ, and they were the joint heirs with Christ as well. These two brothers, unknown, but they were different men with different personalities and gifts. Paul tells us several things about each of them. We see the first brother here in verse 18. He says, And we have sent along with him, that is Titus, we have sent along with Titus, the brother whose fame in the things of the gospel has spread to all the churches. The King James says, the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. The first thing we can say about this brother is that he was a truly converted and believing man. He was like all of us by nature. He was dead in his sins and trespasses. He was living according to the course of this evil world. And then, in whatever way we are not told, he heard the gospel of Jesus, and the word of God became living and powerful in his soul. Through the gospel he heard Jesus speaking to him. And through the gospel, Christ called him out of darkness into his marvelous light. And it may well have been that this brother was from Thessalonica, one of those northern cities. And what Paul tells what happened when he went to Thessalonica, he said, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And what happened... There is what happens to all believers, and that's what happened to this man as well. The gospel came to him, not just words upon his ears, but the gospel came to him with the power of the Holy Spirit working in his soul to convince him of the truth of Christ and to make him a true follower of Jesus. The gospel became to him the power of God to his salvation. And he could say with Peter, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. He believed in Jesus with all of his heart. And what happened to this man as he continued to walk with Jesus, as he continued to carry on his early Christian life, he was a new convert at one point, but then as he continued to attend the church and to read and hear the word of God, this man began to grow in his Christian life. He began to mature as a believer. He began to obey the word of God and to serve and to do good to others. And he developed in the Christian life until he came to the point at which Paul speaks of him here in our verse, that he had grown so much in the things of the gospel that his fame, he had fame in the things of the gospel among all the churches. What kind of gospel labor he was involved in, we are not specifically told. Many believe it was the work of evangelism, and it may well have been, because according to Ephesians chapter 4, Christ has given to the, he gave to the church the gift of evangelists, and that was an office that was in the early church as it spread throughout the world in those days, but It could have been any number of different gifts and kinds of service and work that he did for the sake of the gospel. Whatever it was that this man did, he proved himself to be a true follower of Jesus and a faithful disciple of Christ so that whenever anyone met him, whenever anyone saw this man's life, they quickly knew that this man loved the Lord Jesus Christ And he lived the gospel and he obeyed the gospel and the word of God. And so much so that this man was loved and he was approved by the believers in all the churches. Paul says here in verse 18 that his fame, his fame was in the things of the gospel. That's where his great concern was. For the spread, the defense, the honor of the gospel, and his fame spread in the gospel among all the churches. Then we're told in verse 19, and not only this, but he has also been approved, appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our readiness So what has happened here is that this collection was being made from the Macedonian churches and the Greek churches and there was a need for a man to collect these gifts of the churches and then carry them safely down to Jerusalem. He had to be a good and honest man. He had to be a man of impeccable integrity. He had to be a man of spiritual maturity. One whom everyone could have complete confidence in, that he could finish the work and there would be not even a hint of any dishonesty or corruption as he handled this money. And so when all the churches looked about for a man who could do this work like this, The reputation of this man was such that he was so well known to them, he became the obvious choice. And so the churches here in some way, they appointed him, which means they voted for him, and they approved that he would be the one to carry out this ministry. It was a very large sum of money because Paul says the churches were very generous. But the larger the sum of money the greater the integrity needed in the man who would administer it. We are reminded of what happened in the book of Acts in chapter 6 when the apostles needed men to serve the tables and the apostles said to the people, select from among yourselves, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we may put in charge of this work. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and that's who this brother was. He was a man of good reputation. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom, and full of faith. And it was not just that Paul approved him, but all the churches approved him, and appointed him for the work. Paul tells us there in verse 18, that this brother, His fame in the things of the gospel had spread to all the churches. This brother who is unknown to us today, he was well known to the churches of his day. And he was so well known that Paul did not even need to mention his name because everyone knew who he was. And when he came to Corinth with Titus, He would not need an introduction from anyone for the Corinthians already knew who he was. For us, 2,000, almost 2,000 years after this letter was written, we do not know the name of this brother. He is only referred to here as the brother. The Corinthians knew him when they read this letter and when he came, but we have no idea who this brother is it would have been a very easy thing for the holy spirit to inspire to have inspired paul to just pen his name down but the holy spirit did not do so the spirit who inspires every word of holy scripture he did not wish us to know who this brother was it was an obvious and deliberate omission of the holy spirit what we might call a divine, a divinely inspired omission of his name. Who this brother was and who the other brother was in verse 22, the Holy Spirit does not wish us to know. And the reason is, is because our names are not at all important in the kingdom of God. So many in the world dream of making a name for themselves, gaining reputation, gaining recognition from others. They desire to be noticed, to be praised. They desire fame and celebrity. We see it so much in the world around us, professional athletes in their sports, movie stars, politicians, Whatever sphere they might be in, they seem to always be seeking for attention to themselves, to have their names in the news, to have their names trending on social media, men desiring to make names for themselves in the world. Some men are very rich, and they can give money. And they make foundations full of money and they put their names over those foundations or they build great buildings and they put the names on those buildings because they wish their names to be admired for generations to come even after they are gone. But all such things are worldly vanity and it lasts only for a moment and then It is gone. And we are not to be like unbelievers as Christians, craving for attention, trying to make a name for ourselves, because what what really matters in the kingdom of God is not our name, but our faithful service to Christ in the place and with the gifts which he has given us. The brother of whom Paul speaks here, he, he had a name at this time. And his fame was spread through all the churches. But his name perished and it is remembered no more. What is remembered is his love to Jesus and his faithful service to him and for his kingdom and his church. The same is true for us who seek to serve Jesus now in our generation. Our names will perish. Our names will ultimately perish, but our service to Christ will always be remembered by him as it was with these men. What the Holy Spirit is teaching us here through these two unknown servants, is that our names will be forgotten on earth. But whatever we do for Christ will never be forgotten. And it will be remembered until the last day when Jesus comes with his rewards in his hand. There will be no honor and no glory to any name of any man on the last day. There will be only one name which will last and only one name that will be glorified and it is the name of Jesus Christ alone it has already begun in heaven he has been raised from the dead he has been exalted into the heavenly places and there he sits in the highest place with a name that is above every name not only in this age but also in the one to come there is salvation in no one else For there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the way it is with these two men here. Their names have perished. His name alone must be exalted. He must increase, John said, and I must decrease. Isaiah said, the proud look of man will be abased. And the loftiness of man will be humbled. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. We look for a moment at the second brother down in verse 22. Paul says, and we have sent with him, with them, that is with Titus and the other brother, Our brother, he is called our brother perhaps because he was one of Paul's missionary associates with him. Our brother, he says, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. The word diligent here, it means earnest. He was very earnest, this man. Sometimes the word is translated zealous, and it speaks of speed and haste in doing something. So this man, he was a man of great energy. He had zeal. His zeal was contagious to him all around him. When you met this man, you knew he was full of energy to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. How critical and how necessary it is to have brothers and sisters in the church who are zealous for the Lord Jesus With this man, whenever there were great hardships and difficulties that came and stood in the way of the mission of Christ, everyone else perhaps would be depressed and downcast, but not this brother. This brother, his face would be uplifted. He would find a way to overcome all obstacles because he was a man of great zeal and energy. We notice how Paul praises him, seems to heap Words of praise upon this man. He says in verse 22, we have often tested him. Not just once, but oftentimes we have put him to the test by the tasks that we have given to him. He has proven himself to be faithful. And we have, he says, we have found him diligent in many things, many things. And then he says, but now even more diligent. Even more so. So these two unknown brothers here, They had different gifts. We might say that the first man was a man of honesty and integrity, and the second unknown brother, he was a man of zeal and energy. And along with Titus, the three of them formed a perfect team to carry out this work. These two unknown men, they represent millions of unknown believers throughout the centuries, who have stood for Jesus without wavering, without giving in, and without turning back. So many of them there have been down through the history of the Christian church from the very beginning. In the early church when the early believers would not bow to Caesar and confess him to be a divine being, they took them and threw them to the lion's den in the Colosseum, so many of them unknown to us today. Then there were many in the Waldensians in northern Italy and southern France in the 12th century. They loved the word of God in that place. And then there are the Hussites who followed the teachings of John Huss in the 14th century, the Lollards who were sent out by John Wycliffe, And then there are the later English and American Puritans, all of these thousands upon thousands of men and women who have faithfully followed Jesus. And they are unknown to us today. They have been passed over, unnoticed by the world, unknown to the world, yes, but they have always been known to God. They are still known to him for their faithful service of Christ. Many of them... They did not have great gifts to do extraordinary exploits in the kingdom of God. That's one of the dangers, really, of reading biographies oftentimes. Biographies are wonderful. I recommend biographies. But biographies should not be read with the idea that I must be like them because we are not all expected to be glorious and extraordinary saints. There are many of us who are simply ordinary, common, mundane saints in the kingdom of God. What is important and what will last for eternity is that we are good and faithful servants of Jesus in the place and with the gifts that he has given to us. This is what we should live for. We often live what seems to us so ordinary and humdrum, monotonous daily lives. We wake up in the morning as we should. We should read our Bibles and we should pray to our Heavenly Father in the secret place and go to Him with all of our needs. We should watch over our hearts every day. We should always be seeking to live a life that is pleasing to our lord jesus christ and to know the holy scriptures and our work of serving jesus it so often seems so small insignificant and of no account but it is not so to him to live a life of holiness in a world of sin is a very glorious thing to Jesus Christ. To love his word. To read his word. To pray over his word. To keep ourselves from the sins of the wicked world. To walk in the light as he is in the light. To cry to him for grace and strength. These are wonderful things. To Jesus To trust Him in our trials in life, to war with the devil, and to fight our remaining sins and put them to death by the Holy Spirit. These are great works to our Lord Jesus Christ. To attend His house of worship. To worship him. To worship him in a world that curses him. To honor his name and glorify his name. In a world that despises his name. To witness of him in a world that denies him. All of these things. Are glorious things to Jesus to keep His church holy, to walk in His ways and not be conformed to the ways of the world, and to keep the church the pillar and ground of the truth where the whole counsel of God is being preached in the church as it should. These are no small things to Jesus. However, ordinary, however mundane, They might seem to us they are wonderful things to him. The Lord loves every righteous desire of his people. They are all the works of his grace in us, however weak they may be. To live an ordinary Christian life is an extraordinary thing to Jesus. And he remembers every good thing that his people do for his name. On the last day, he will say, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. All the good works of the saints are what we see here at the end of verse 19. He says, for the glory of the Lord himself. That's why we do what we do, for the glory of the Lord himself. And then down in verse 21, We do what is honorable. That's what we seek to do, what is honorable in the sight of the Lord. And then down at the end of verse 23, it is all a glory to Christ. So these are the works of a Christian in this present world. No good work of his people will he forget, not even a cup of cold water We read in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12, For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown to his name in having administered and in still ministering to the saints. And among the last words of Jesus in Revelation chapter 22, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. We may not have great gifts. We may not do spectacular works. But what matters is not great gifts or spectacular works, but faithfulness to Jesus in what he has given to us. To some he gives ten talents, to others he gives five, to some he gives one. But when he returns, what he desires is that we be faithful to what he has given to us so that he can say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. In Luke chapter 10, the the apostles were sent out by Jesus preaching. And they had power over the demons and to cast out evil spirits, and they returned to Jesus and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They marveled at the great power that was given to them. Jesus said, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. That's the way it is with these men here. And that's the way it is with us as well. Our names are forgotten in this world. But when we rise on the last day, then we will rejoice when the books are open and our names are written in the book of life. And Jesus brings us in to his glorious kingdom. That's the only thing that counts as far as a name Let our names perish, and thanks be to God, we have a name in the book of life. Not all fame is bad fame. Let's make that distinction. There is a good kind of fame, because Paul, in verse 18, is actually commending the fame of this brother. He had a good and right kind of fame. It was a fame in the things of the gospel. It was a fame in living for Christ, a fame in living for His Word. It was surely not a fame that He manufactured or a fame that He actively desired and pursued for Himself. But it was a fame that came to him in the providence of God as he faithfully served Christ in the works which Christ had appointed him to do. We might say it simply happened to him. But it was a good kind of fame. And it was a fame that we should all desire because it was the fame that those who know us best speak the highest of us as they see us living the Christian life. It is a fame in which the members of our family and the members of our church see us living with love for Jesus, men of integrity, men of diligence and zeal in the Christian life. That's the fame. That's the kind of fame that is what Paul speaks of here for this man. It is the kind of fame that should be desired by every Christian that those who are closest to us speak the best of us. The second unknown brother here in verse 22, Paul says he had passed through many trials Consider it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let your endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. That's the kind of man that this man was. He passed through trials and he proved the sincerity, the genuineness of his faith. He did not waver. He did not turn back. He continued to serve even more diligently in the churches, he remained true through all of his trials in life. That's what we desire. Worldly fame is that which desires the admiration of people at a distance. Worldly fame is that which desires the admiration of people who are at distance from us and do not really know who we are. That's what often happens with worldly celebrities. People who are far off from them speak well of them because they do not really know who they are. But those who know them, those who know them well, they do not speak so well of them very often. But godly fame is when those who know us best speak the very highest of us as the servants of Christ. And they do so not only in this life, but after we are gone, they still remember us with joy because of the good example that we have set for them that they can continue to follow as the servants of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the question that we ask of each one of us here this morning, what is the legacy that we are leaving behind for others who are closest to us in our church, in our family, and among others who are our friends? These two men are unknown to us and their names have perished, but their legacy lives on and we still can learn from their lives where are these two men now they have gone to be with Christ in heaven for 2000 years they've been absent from the body and present with the Lord we do not know who they are but heaven knows who they are God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit they know who they are All the saints in glory, they know who they are. They sit together about that table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the heavenly kingdom and with our Lord Jesus, and they worship him forever. They are happy. They are at peace in ways that are unimaginable to us right now. The tomb of the unknown soldier it reads this. Here rests in honored glory an American soldier known but to God. Here rests, it says. Here. Here it says. The here that it speaks of is that tomb in the ground. But for these two men and for all true believers, their here is not in a tomb in the ground but in the throne of God in heaven. And here rests the tomb of the unknown soldier says. Here rests. Saints have their rest in heaven, not in the ground. Our bodies sleep in the ground, we might say, but we rest in heaven. John says that he heard the voice in heaven Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow after them. That's what's happened to these two men. They are resting in heaven and their deeds from the earth have followed after them. But they rest and they live at the very same time. They are alive in the presence of God. The tomb of the unknown soldier says, here rests in honored glory. Honored glory. Whatever honored glory a nation can give to its unknown dead, it is nothing compared to the honored glory that belongs to those who are in the presence of God in heaven. There's the highest glory and honor that anyone could ever have. And we read of it, it has already begun for us who believe. And the writer to the Hebrews tells us of it in Hebrews 12, verse 22. He says, you have come, you have already come to Mount Zion, you who believe in the gospel. You have already come to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the myriads of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, and to Jesus, he says, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. That's what every one of us needs this morning. And that's what every unbeliever, if you are not a believer, a true follower of Jesus, that's what you need. You need the blood of Jesus to cleanse you from all sin, your only hope the blood of Jesus to cleanse from sin let's pray Father in heaven have great mercy upon us how much we need the word of God to be at work in us to sanctify our minds to cleanse us to guide us and teach us your ways. Lord, may you be glorified in all that is said and done in this church, and may you be pleased to work and to do your gracious and glorious work of saving us and bringing us safely into your eternal kingdom. Be pleased, Lord Jesus, to hear us now, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.